Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Legg and Bryn Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Well, welcome back to the Reconstructed Faith podcast. Uh, my name is Colson Lechner. Joined as always by my partners in crime, Bryn Starnes and Chris Legg. Um, and we have Mark Legg uh, again here for this episode to continue kind of this conversation um, about kind of personal stories of walking uh, through life, interacting with difficult situations or difficult questions, um, and and still being anchored to uh, to faith in Jesus. And so, Mark, thanks uh, for for being on. I really appreciate it. Um, of course, uh, Chris, can I throw it over to you? Yeah, because you you had a thought for this uh, this portion of our discussion with Mark, um, yeah. talking about kind of anchoring. Well, so here's a. I think for many of us, when we face challenges to our beliefs or we face some new idea, um, one of the things we forget is that every viewpoint has difficult things it has to answer. And so when you mm-hmm. go, okay, this is this is challenging my faith as it is, but if I took the other stance, I would then have to come up with an answer still for several problems. I mean, there the the other viewpoint has its issues as well. And as we talked about in the last episode with Mark, every human um is going to be wrong at times. That's a a, a yes. given, right? All humans um if at, at, at least at the just base level. No one makes a 100 on every math paper they ever turn. Like that's just not human. Humans don't do that. In fact, I, I, we've talked about before that I think Jesus's experience on earth was that he was sinless, but not flawless. I think he probably missed questions on his math tests and even on his Hebrew tests. And that may panic some people, but I don't think it should. I don't, I don't, I think he took sometimes more than one hit of the hammer for him to put a nail in a board. Mm -hmm. He wasn't flawless. He or was he sinless. tripped and fell. Or, or tripped and like fell, that. exactly. Or, you know, got, got something on his face and didn't know it. Like, I, I feel like all the things we face right. as humans, right? And so, right. Um, so anyway, I think that's a, a an interesting conversation as we're having. But I think for us, like, there's a couple for me that I fall back on. The, the what, what happened with the disciples then? Um, if, if Jesus is right. not, if Jesus was not did was not born, lived, died, and was raised from the grave. I'm going to have to come up with an alternative theory for what happened to a bunch of Hebrew men and women 2,000 years ago. That is that is historically accepted. I mean, there there are fringe people who don't accept it, but historically, you're stuck with the fact that Christianity came from something, and that mm-hmm. this this is the probably the, well. I'm going to have to come up with an alternative answer for that, and I can't. So far, mm-hmm. I've never come up with one. So that's something I fall back on when I go, oh, but what about, you know, if I, I the problem of suffering, it, what, what do I do with that? And because I think that's one of a tough, co- often a tough question. I go, okay, but if I, if I switch views on this, I'm going to need to come up with a solution for this problem. Or for me, the teleological argument, uh, which we've talked about, is the most potent. Um, the idea that there's such an obvious cause and effect relationship between, especially with designed things, that I just I, I like I feel like I would be having to have a psychotic break to pretend like no no just random chance led to and random 
random chance processes, very complex random chance processes led to this. And I just don't know that I could make my brain go there. Like, I I don't know that I have the quote Mm -hmm. faith to do that. Um, And so anyway, those are, those are a couple of examples for me. And I think most of us have some of those, whether it's personal relationships or experiences or, or what, anyway, so I'm curious to hear, I'd love to hear what some of Mark's are. I mean, it'd be good for all of us to kind of talk a little bit through that, but I'd love to hear Mm -hmm. some Mark's because I know that's what he's working on big Mm -hmm. time. So. Yeah, that's good. I mean, yeah, I do think everyone has those for a lot of people. It's the testimony of God in their lives. It's some kind of event that took place where they, they have this, I'm getting, so maybe just for the sake of ease, I'm going to use feel. And when I say feel, I don't mean like, uh, the emotional up and down kind of, but just like, uh, they know that it is real, that it, they feel that it exists. They, they feel that God has brought them through a really hard time. And I think there's scriptural reason to put faith in that, to put your trust in God because of the testimony of how he's worked through your family, of how he's worked through history, of how he's led the, you know, for the Israelites out of Egypt, things like that nature. And I think for, for me, it's the holistic picture of the world that my faith offers. I've settled on that as the thing that I fall back on. And I think that kind of dodged the question a little bit because it's kind of, well, what specific parts of that are the most integral? And I could answer that, but I think for me, remembering as what you said, the historical evidence that Jesus walked around on the earth and died and then came back to life. And Paul even stakes Christianity on that. If Jesus isn't risen, then all this is pointless. Right. To paraphrase. Um, And so that's one thing to to hang your hat on. Another is the alternatives not being very satisfactory. I think where I would land is there's not a lot of kind of oomph to other spiritual beliefs, to other, let's say we could pick new age ideals. Let's say a kind of utopian vision for humanity that like, I don't have enough faith in any of those visions for humanity to pick those as my set of assumptions I live my life by, to pick those as what I believe is true. And that comes back to the truth, the true ideas winning, um, not just in like a, oh, they make more money or something, right? That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about like ideas that actually work. That work. Yeah. And, and when I say work, yeah, I'm not, but what I'm trying to communicate is not just in a pragmatic sense, not just in a yeah. utilitarian, like, I make more money because of my ideas. Yeah. But in a, my life is well lived because of these ideas. Yeah. Um, And so I think one is a historical one is the other options don't really hold up. Yeah. Um, Another is, I think this is what I realized is the strongest one from me personally, amid all the technical questions because I have a very real understanding of how far afield the technical questions can take you. Like uh, there's a whole branch of philosophy called metaphysics, which is about what it is to be, what it is to exist. And so, you know, and then there's subdisciplines of metaphysics. So you just get into the weeds about what is, what does it even mean to be real? And you're kind of like, you know, your mind explodes and you get into the weeds and you realize I don't even know what it means to exist. 
Um, and so basically what I'm trying to say is the technical questions are interesting and important. But as I said in the last episode, I think my... Un, how would I say this? Um, something that you can't really argue against is the experience I've had with Jesus as a friend, as a savior, as someone that I talk to, as someone who I've experienced his presence, as someone I find in scripture. I think as someone who has evidence that I'm indwelt with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some people experience a kind of general spiritual transcendent feeling in some way or another. But for me, it's very specifically in Christ. Mm. And it's not just a vibe. <laughs> yeah. It's like a specific, like personal, it's as though I'm ta- as, it's as though like I'm as, as I talked about in the last episode, just like, I can't know for sure if you guys have minds, ideas and feelings. I can't be sure that Jesus exists, but I'm just about as sure as other people's minds existing. Mm-hmm. And that could act as a segue because there is, I actually haven't read this book, but there's a book by Alvin Plantinga, who's a Christian philosopher called um, God and Other Minds. And he mm. has a bunch of arguments basically saying that a belief in God is just as justified in a belief in other people's minds. That's intriguing. Yeah. So basically he's not saying you can prove it, but he's saying that as justified as you are in believing in other people's, you know, personalities, experience, thoughts, feelings, mm. You can also be just as certain that God exists. Um, and I think that's appealing. Um, so all to be said, that's that great, there is some philosophical argument. That is a argument. great case. It's a great case. And I think there's like a, so I should say philosophical argument is one, but honestly, it's one of the maybe weaker pillars because I recognize how technical into philosophy you can get. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. It really does. So, yeah. But so it doesn't different pillars. Yeah. So the philosophical argument, what is that? What is that role? Is there a favorite one for you? Is there a fallback for you? Is there one that you like when you first heard it, you thought, okay, that's, that's going to be tough to overcome. So this is a, a slight bit of a cop out because it doesn't <laughs> uh, prove God exists, but there's one I've talked to you guys a bit about called, the evolutionary argument against naturalism. Okay. So would you like me to go into that? Please. Please I'm fascinated to hear it. Yeah, definitely. Here we go. That uh, that silence was definitely the, uh, yep, keep going. Anticipation. So just to reiterate that, it's the evolutionary argument against naturalism that you're you're going to unpack. Correct. Okay. So just trying to build suspense. Yeah. Um, You're doing a great job. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. So the evolutionary argument against naturalism is not an argument for God. It's an argument against a belief called naturalism. So naturalism is the belief that all things that happen are explainable by natural causes. Right. So that's a bit different than, let's say, materialism, which is that the only substance, the only thing that really exists is material things, material stuff. Um, 
But naturalism is the belief that you can explain everything by observation, by empirical science, just by the way nature runs. Okay, so if you're a naturalist, you believe in evolution. Um, we could put some nuance on what evolution is, but uh, it's basically a combination of sexual selection and natural selection. Right. So natural selection is when you have two animals that are competing in a given space, and one of them finds a little advantage. Right. That they will survive for longer and have more children statistically which means that their children are more likely genetically to have that trait. So pretty much everyone knows what evolution is, but just to restate, that is kind of the foundation. They, they don't, but that's okay. Good, you're right. <laughs> well, everyone, people listening to this podcast know they, now. They think they know. There's another, it doesn't really matter to the argument a whole lot, but there's sexual selection, which is why you have, theoretically, you have peacocks with really vibrant colored uh, spread of tail, right? Even though uh, you know feathers, even though it gives them no natural selective advantage, it's basically just the guys trying to show off to somehow attract a female. Evolutionary biologists don't know exactly how all that works, from what I understand. Right. Okay. So there's still some mystery to it, no doubt, but that's kind of the premise. Okay. So I'm going to set up a little story with Fred and George, the two cavemen. So if you're a naturalist, you believe humans evolved. Um, let's, so Fred and George are like, you know, Cro-Magnon humans. They're kind of bumbling around a little bit, but they've got some fire. They use clubs. Maybe they even use spears. So Fred and George run across a saber-toothed tiger. Fred believes that saber-toothed tigers are cuddly. And so he doesn't run away. George <laughs> believes that he's going to die if he doesn't get away. So he runs and escapes. Okay, who survives in that situation? <laughs> okay, George survives. Right. So he gets to go home to hit to Helga. Wait, doesn't Fred whoever. get a pet? Fred gets a pet saber tooth out of this, though, right? Isn't that how that works? That's <laughs> how Disney only, does it. It was a puppy, but uh, or a, a kitten. kitten. Sorry, just kidding. But, Go ahead. Uh, no, it's, uh, it eats so, him. So I was going to say, so we're, we're assuming it eats him. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So Fred, it eats Fred. He doesn't get to go back to, you know, <laughs> Olga and have kids. So he doesn't pass on the gene. And, you know, this is all, you could go into scientific weeds here, but he passes on the gene. He, he does not pass on the gene. I think saber-toothed tigers are, uh, right. are cuddly. So pretty quickly, you Cro-Magnons no longer believe that uh, saber-toothed tigers are cuddly. Yep, they Makes run sense. away. All okay? all the ones who believe that are lunch. Are lunch exactly? Right. So there's a problem with that. Um, it is that let's run a different scenario. Let's say that Fred believes the saber-toothed tiger is cuddly, but he also believes that if he runs away from the saber-toothed tiger or fights it off, that later on in the day, the saber-toothed tiger will come back to him and he'll get to cuddle with him. <laughs> this, it's ridiculous. It's a very dumb belief. Okay. But he has this belief. 
Okay. Okay. The belief, if I fight or run away from a saber-toothed tiger later, I'll get to cuddle with it. And he really wants to do that. George believes he's going to die if he doesn't run away or fight off a saber-toothed tiger. What do George and Fred both do in that situation? They both run away. Both run away. So let's say, for the sake of the example, they both survive. They're both able to escape. Okay. So both genes get passed on. So you have the gene that has a very wrong, ridiculous belief that gets passed on. You also have a gene that passes on a true belief. The point is evolution can't select for truer beliefs. Okay. It only selects for behavior. Mm. So right. that might sound very counterintuitive because you might think, ah, but isn't it better to believe that if you fight with a spear rather than your bare fists that you'll survive more likely? So that will take us a little bit farther afield into the definitions of you know, different thoughts or beliefs. But in general, for every time you say a belief like, let's say it's, uh, you, have, you have to make a distinction between basically desires and between propositional beliefs. Like, um, let's see, what would be a propositional belief? This spear will help me kill the saber-toothed tiger more. Could be a propositional belief. Okay. But then, you know, a desire to fight or to run away would just be a desire. So, of course, philosophers debate these things. But the main point is that it seems like for every propositional belief that you could give for, like, it's better to have a spear to attack a saber-toothed tiger with, you could have a, another one that says something ridiculous like the saber-toothed tiger cuddle story. You can always come up with one that gets the same result. Okay. Mm -hmm. The same behavior while having a, a false belief. But so it still that, allows them to survive. Right. That still allows them to survive and still passes on the genes. So the basic premise is that, or the argument is, um, evolution doesn't select for truer beliefs. Interesting. So what does that mean? It means that if you are a naturalist, um, so Alvin Plantinga calls it, uh, this is like, philosophical jargon, but the beliefs that you have need to be held in um, are the probability of them being true are either low or inscrutable. Inscrutable just means you don't know. <laughs> right. In other words, you have no idea how true your beliefs are or, at, or even worse, you probably have mostly false beliefs because evolution is not selecting for truer beliefs. Hmm. Which means that if you're a naturalist, you have reason to doubt your own naturalism and your own belief in evolution. Wow. Okay. okay. Yeah. It's it's the classic. So a example. naturalist should be doubting themselves based on their right. theory of natural selection. <laughs> Basically, their theory of natural selection undermines all their beliefs. Interesting. Uh, including wow. naturalism and evolution. Right. So um, if you believe that evolution is the source or that natural processes are the only thing that can create a source for even beliefs. So that's what you're stuck with. So if you believe the only source for human thinking and beliefs is or are natural processes, 
then you should be very dubious of your beliefs. Correct. <laughs> that the makes that makes twist. great sense. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. So the different responses are maybe you can't count thoughts. So how can you know if it's like 50-50 or like it's impossible to know, which kind of proves planning his point. Right. Um, there's other beliefs. Um, there's other ways to try and like get around it. But I think it's a really solid argument. So basically, uh, if you are, if you believe in God, you could believe in evolution or in something else. You could believe in different like versions of intelligent design, or you could believe in God and evolution. Um, the problem for naturalists is their only option at this point is evolution. Wow. Um, so, so yeah, it's really creepy when I dug into it, like, actually a lot of atheists kind of accept this um like some neuroscientists who are materialists people who study the brain wow people who study the brain will basically say yeah we can't trust what we our perceptions at all um which is terrifying but uh they i don't know how they hold to their own beliefs but I just they feel like that, that's something that could crumble. So, or it feels like something that would crumble very easily. Yeah. Well, that was the, for a while, remember, remember for a while, one of the big pushes in atheism was that, that we're the only reason we're Christians or the only reason we believe in a God is because we evolved belief in a God. Right. And therefore we believe in God, which, which then would show that someone who's not, doesn't believe in God either as a, I guess, an evolutionary error. Um, but why does 96% of the world's population believe in some form of, you know, higher power or God? And they said, um, so how do you, so in other words, like, bam, you just believe in God because you've evolved that tendency. Our brains evolved that tendency. But of course, immediately Christian thinkers pointed out, well, then you believe in evolution because you evolved that belief. And so if evolving a belief causes you to doubt it, then you should be just in the same position. But it sounds like Planiga has taken it to a new level and said, actually, if you believe evolution is the only source or natural processes would be the only source for belief, you should be more dubious. Right. Not less dubious. Because right. because the theist has multiple sources, potential sources of belief, which some of them would be less dubious. Um, are potentially Correct. less dubious. Potentially. Yep. So again, it's not a proof for God, but it's definitely a very strong argument against naturalism. Naturalism. Is, yeah, I think definitely. Wow. It's really cool. Yeah. yeah. It, it actually reminds me a little bit when you when we reverse stuff like that of the uh, problem of evil that we've talked yes. about. That yes. when people mm -hmm. say that when you realize the problem of evil, if you remove God, if you say, <clears throat> how can there be a God with this kind of, a loving God if there's this kind of suffering? Removing the loving God from the scenario does not in any way reduce or explain the suffering. Right. It just means it's random and meaningless versus mm -hmm. with a Christian perspective, you can say, oh, but there is a benevolent God who can assign meaning and bring value from that suffering supernaturally, whereas the naturalist is stuck with, nope, it's just flat suffering and horror mm -hmm. and there is no purpose and there is no meaning um right. that can be that can come from that so um it kind of reminds me of that like 
know yes. that the this may be bad, but the only other option is worse. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, it's been around for a long, like you said, it's been around for a long time, like since Freud has talked about religion being the opiate for the masses. Right. Like, yeah, but you, you have to apply. So it could be true. Like, that's the thing is it could be true that we believe in Christianity because of evolution. Right. It doesn't tell us why that's true or false. Right. So in other words, unless you also show that evolution tends to lead to more false beliefs than not. Right. Right. Then. Uh, so basically, <laughs> yeah, you're, st you're stuck with like, yes, maybe that's true, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's it's less likely or more likely. Right. Um, and maybe it is less likely, but you have to show that. <coughs> um, yeah, you can't just say it. It's yeah, you can't it's, just say it. That makes sense. But then there's really, an argument that's to be a really had. encouraging argument. That's, yeah. Yeah. And it can be applied widely, like, you know, dad already mentions, like people say, well, you only believe that because X, Y, and Z. Like mm -hmm. probably there are some cases otherwise, right? If you're a schizophrenic and you're, you believe in a lot of paranoid, like paranoid things, something's going to come get you or that there are aliens listening from your walls. Like that's probably, you have reason to doubt that belief because yeah, you are compromised, but you can show why that person is compromised in their beliefs. Right. Um, and again, I think this goes back to this, this kind of argument is why people nowadays are moving towards the, well, we don't know what's true, right? Because right. you could take that argument to mean it's just that we don't know whether things are true or not. And that is kind of the base assumption of a lot of people nowadays and their beliefs is if it works for you, it works for you. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is, that's probably, so then the question becomes, even, even if Christians do a great job of winning the battle, even if the, even if, even if apologists and philosophers yeah. did a great job of winning the battle of saying, no, naturalism is not the best answer. We still have to then offer up a good, a series of good rational answers. Totally. Um, yes, yes. Which, you know, can be done in all different kinds of ways. And I've already talked about how I consider my faith a kind of like tapestry, not a, or, you know, built on multiple pillars, not just one thing. Right. Um, yeah, that's good. Very cool. What else? You got any other questions for Mark or Mark, anything else to, to toss in there? Like, what is your encouragement for people who are you know, struggling in some way with their faith or have deconstructed their faith. Like, how would you, what would you encourage them on next steps? And I'll add, if you have time, additional question that I thought of is, um, what would you say to people who are in that, that point where they're like, there's no way of knowing. So why, you know, mm, why, good. why try to reach a conclusion? Yeah, that's great. Good question. Um, I'll start with the other ones first because that those are easier. <laughs> That's a really good question, friend. Um, difficult, but I would say um, as an encouragement, it's interesting because the people that I think I've, I've encouraged maybe most um, two high school kids who I remember, I don't remember their names actually. One was from South spring a while ago. And then one was from my, church I was attending in college called Stonegate. 
and they're two kids who had just stumbled on, you know, kind of like a, the audience for this podcast or the kids of the parents who are listening to this podcast, who are clearly brilliant, clearly have an insanely high IQ. I think of my cousin, even um, same situation where there's this active deconstruction that happens partially because they're just so wickedly brilliant that it's like they're running laps around their parents and around everyone else around them, you know? And I think that encouragement there for them and what I've been able to show those kids is the only thing I have an advantage on for them is that I've, I was in college and I had studied these questions, whereas they were just really smart, you know, and then maybe been on a few atheist forums online and had seen the stuff to pull out. But for them to be encouraged, like you said, Dad, that like there are arguments about this. There are answers. Yeah. For as many questions as have been posed to Christianity, there are people like I did a profile on Alistair McGrath, who literally is a C.S. Lewis type, basically. I think he teaches at Oxford, but he has a doctorate in um, biophysics, a doctorate in history of thought, and a doctorate in philosophy. I think so there's like three different PhDs, all from Oxford. Wow. Dang. <laughs> pretty, pretty bright, and, probably. And guess what? You know, he's a Christian and he holds to Orthodox beliefs. And he's even, mm-hmm. uh, he's an ordained Anglican minister. So you, you have like, you just can't say if you have a certain level of IQ, you're going to be an atheist. That is the message you will get in academia. Mm-hmm. That is the message, especially in the science that you will get. But you realize that they're built on assumptions, not on evidence one way or another, especially in the sciences. Like science is important and help us understand apologetics questions. It's important for other reasons, but God is a is not a falsifiable claim by science. Um, in other words, science is about measuring physical things. Right. So you can't physically measure something that is immaterial. <laughs> okay. Right, right. So just by the nature of the question. So anyway, insights like that, um, basically getting them connected with people like Alistair McGrath, getting their books in the hands of kids who are deconstructing is important because they need to know that there are other brilliant people who are also Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, just as many times as they are not Christian. Um, I'm not saying that one way or the other, it's not like really smart people always choose Christianity because they don't. And, and then for Bryn's question, uh, and what was, can you restate it again? Like you're saying with the trend of just kind of settling with, there's so many things that we can't know, or, or even the concept of we can't know for sure. So I'm going to say I'm agnostic or whatever it is, what <laughs> with that current trend and kind of um, cause I, I mean, I have heard a lot of, especially Gen Z saying that they want to be so open-minded and there's no way of knowing for sure. So I'm just going to stay there. What is your encouragement to find answers and to move past that stage? Hmm. That's good. Um, so I think my encouragement is for people to encourage them in their open-mindedness. So step one is basically saying, I see that you're very open-minded and open to other beliefs. Just because you follow Christ doesn't mean you have to give that up. 
So I think some things you have to sacrifice to follow Christ. And in a sense, you do have to sacrifice the open-mindedness because you have to say whatever Christ says, he's king. And so what he says goes. Right. There, There is that sense. But in the intellectual sense, you can be very open-minded about many different things. And I think what you need to remember is that as long as you can keep the idea that there is truth in the back of your head while you're searching, I think that's the best option. So in other words, like be open-minded and just remember while you're searching that you're looking for truth. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, and you can show that really easily that you have to look for truth, right? Like you can't just blindly wander. And I think that encouragement to say you can wander and seek and look um, if you're honest, then if you seek and knock, then it will be open to you. Mm-hmm. And so if you if you hold the openness to truth, the humility to think maybe I'm wrong, and hold there is such thing as truth, and that's what I'm looking for, that can start you on the right track on your compass. Like instead of going, you know, following Christ and following everything he teaches would be like going like true north, exactly north. Um, but I think what I would encourage for Gen Z is to actually have a compass at all. Mm. You know, like just start with recognizing that there is a compass. Yeah. And I think to get them there, there are arguments or just simple things to show them that that's true. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's that difficult to show them that there is a compass, you know, showing them that Christianity is that following Christ is true North is another thing. Right. Um, but while they're looking for that true North, encouraging them to open and seek and look at like even dad, I'm sure on the podcast, you've talked about your own spirit, your own seeking where you had a couple of years where you really right. rigorously looked into other religions. Right. And like, yeah, do that. Mm-hmm. But I think what our generation is missing is not the seeking part. It's almost the having a compass at all. Yeah. And being and willing think, to and, accept an answer, even when you achieve it, or even when you get there, like yeah. claiming, you know, something is not the same as claiming, you know, everything. Totally. So you're allowed mm-hmm. to put something into space and go, yo, I, I think this really is true. Like I have now been yeah. convinced of this. That doesn't make you closed minded. It just means you have done the point of all the work. Yes. And if you hold that belief, <clears throat> what would make you close-minded is if you said, I'm not going to listen to any other thoughts, no other arguments. I'm not even going to consider it being wrong. Yeah. That's close-minded. Don't be close-minded, you know? Yeah, like, you don't need to. That's different. That's, yeah. yeah. And I think as long as we can make that distinction between mm-hmm. what true open-mindedness is, um, as opposed to, you know, and a true open-mindedness is empathetic. It's maybe you are right, not none of us can be right. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's, yeah. it's, you know, I think <clears throat> I'm right about this position, but I could be wrong as opposed to neither you or I is right or wrong. Yeah. So what a I good think, delineation. Wow. Yeah. I, I think like the, it used to be a problem that people just, it seems like, I don't know if this is actually true, but it seems like people used to not want to seek as much. 
in the past few decades. <laughs> now it's people are seeking, but we they're just, trying to do it without a compass. Without finding. Without finding. Yeah, I want to seek. And, I just don't want to find. And I think one final note on that is you are fooling yourself if you think that you don't have any assumptions. Right. That you don't believe there is a right and wrong. Yeah. Like it's just so simple to show that otherwise. I really think a lot of Gen Z don't think that. I think they have the belief that that's not the case. Mm-hmm. But it's very easy to show that otherwise. So, yeah, yeah totally. I would just say it's like, really? Like a good place to start is, is there a difference between taking care of a puppy and finding a stray puppy and torturing it? Let's just start with that. <laughs> is there a difference? Not even just which one is right and wrong. Is there a moral difference? Mm-hmm. And that's just an open question. Like, is it? Okay, yes. There is a difference. Which one is right? Which one is wrong? Okay, there is the <laughs> right. right and wrong. Okay, so then we can just work from backwards. Okay, this is clearly wrong. And then work backwards from what's obviously wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, racism is obviously wrong. Let's define that. What is that? That's wrong. Mm-hmm. So what's right? And then you just move in that direction. And you say, okay, well, then you do believe in right and wrong. Okay, mm-hmm. you do make judgments. Um, so... That's just what I would, I would argue is you can be a seeker of truth while still being open-minded. That's great. That's, that's really good. I think that's, and I think that's something that will be encouraging for our listeners who are in that place. Yeah. I think your, Mm -hmm. I think your story and I think the insights in this episode have been really helpful. And I think it's a great place for people. I agree. It also, I I think also delineating like what is, you know, what is true open-mindedness? It kind of lends itself to what, you know, Chris, what you've told us several times of like, I've tried to get into these (laughs) open-minded discussion boards. Yeah. Yeah. And no one wants me. (laughs) We we want our own version of free thinking. No (laughs) one else. So it's like, Oh, I think that's also just a good reiteration of let's understand what that is. And, yep. and we don't have to well, check our minds at the door. <laughs> yeah. And I think being free thinking and open-minded is a concept that everyone loves. And it's something that we want to claim about ourselves, but the work of actually knowing what that means in a healthy way and actually doing the work to, to be that way is like sometimes painful and really difficult. And so it's sometimes it's more like we just mm. want to feel like we're open-minded um, you know, or feel like we've arrived at the answers or whatever our version of that is. Um, and it's, it's a fun thing to claim, but then it's like, have we actually put in the work to know, like you're saying, know what that actually means. And then to actually be. Yeah. Yeah. That is so true. That is one of the, the most prominent, I claim it for myself and yet isn't actually true out there. Right. Yeah. Like, oh man, that's such a good insight. Like that is one of the top things. Like claiming humility for yourself. Everyone would claim to be humble. (laughs) Everyone would claim to be open-minded. I mean, nowadays, everyone would claim to be open-minded, but are they really? And the answer is that that's such a great point. Typically, no. Yeah, very because humans humans just aren't. That's we're just not, not very open minded, right? Exactly. Not very we have moments maybe of open mindedness, but that's about as far as we get. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Mark. Yeah. Mark, thank you for uh, for being on, um, for sharing your thoughts, for sharing your story, and uh, I'm confident that this will meet um, our listeners wherever they are on their journey, and and I'm sure it will help one spur them on to to be thinking uh, maybe in a different way. 
but uh, also just to be encouraged by your faith through uh, through hard questions of life. I appreciate it. Yep. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, thank, thank you, Mark. Guys. Appreciate your son. This is so great. Thank you guys so much. Alrighty. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up, trust God, search for answers.